Hey, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. Yes. Enough to talk about, you think? Whole lot to talk about. A lot going on. Lots going on. You know, I, I feel like there's a ton to talk about, and then I feel like there's nothing to talk about. I just, mm-hmm. oh, I just want to say, oh my gosh, look at this cloud. Right. Been to the gas station lately? Uh, I have, and uh, gas prices around here through the roof. I've seen uh, reports of places in California over five dollars yeah, uh, yeah. a gallon. We, on this podcast, take a look at the news of the day. We have thoughtful conversations about things that matter. We try to go a little deeper. Helping us go a little deeper today is our friend Seth Liebson, host of the Seth Liebson Show, heard daily on KKNT 960 AM in Phoenix. And Seth, of course, was a longtime producer of my show. Right. Which you helped do, Morning yeah. in America. Really smart guy. You can hear him online at uh, 960thepatriot.com. Let's repeat that, 960thepatriot.com. We have a couple of emails we wanted to get through. We uh, do. We right? had one. I th- he didn't want to be identified, but mm-hmm. uh, naval officer. But it's uh, it's about China. Sure. Let's do that one first. So he says, I listened to your podcast that included the interview uh, with Gordon Chang. Gordon's always great, by the way. Uh, he says, I, f- I always find him very informative, um, a very informative person to listen to with valuable perspectives on the current international situation. Uh, like you said, Bill, he says he's a retired Navy officer who's living in Japan. As Gordon mentioned, the Japanese leadership is showing publicly that they would support Taiwan. Uh, this is refreshing as they recognize that the PRC would become a greater military threat if they took Taiwan. Uh, he says they are also rightly concerned about their econo- uh, their economy. Excuse me, uh, since the communists also uh, want to own the South China Sea and interfere with the sea lanes that connect Japan to the Middle East and Europe. He says while the Japanese leadership may support this policy, I've not seen any public surveys which ask how much the public would support this type of action. This is I would like to suggest a couple of topics related to Taiwan that I have not heard addressed yet. The first one, he says, I'd like to hear someone inform, uh, some informed commentary regarding the strength of our current political relationship with Taiwan. I don't think that it's nearly as strong as it was in 1979 when formal relations were broken uh, and the uh, Taiwan Relations Act was passed. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, I don't know. But I do think the situation with Taiwan is foreboding. It's very bad there. Chinese PRC is flying jets over, mm-hmm. being very, very menacing. Japanese have to be worried about this. Taiwanese, we have a treaty. The president has given lip service to it. Will he act? This is the guy who gave up Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know the answer. I can't help but to think that if China was to have an aggressive move against Taiwan, we'd have to do something, right? One would assume. One would assume. Uh, the other question or the other uh, thing he'd like to see addressed is I'd also like to hear details regarding our current trade relationship with Taiwan. Taiwan is a full on democracy, uh, warts and all. Uh, and there are good reasons for the U.S. to support a democratic government uh, in the face of the red Chinese. However, there's more to Taiwan than that. And I think it's very important to the U.S. Uh, economy. It's my impression that many of our cutting edge technologies are uh, driven by computer chips, manufactured in Taiwan, where the PRC uh, to capture Taiwan in these manufacturing facilities, I think it would be a huge blow to the U.S., Japanese, and European technology companies, giving the Chinese communists a lead in technology uh, development and the newest technologies for a generation or more. Yeah, well, the Chinese take all that Taiwanese technology, another win for them, another loss for us, loss for Taiwan. But again, he's just uh, underlining the stakes here. Mm about uh, the loss of Taiwan, and one worries about it. But there's so much to worry about. 
Right. So much. Maybe what we can do is I can forward this email to to Gordon Chang and see if he could either be great. address it or whether or, he knows. If he'd like to just, yeah, we don't want to force him. Maybe write, respond. Maybe write a letter, respond. but he could uh, give us a call. We could record it. Sure. You could sure. record it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, okay, yeah, great. We'll have him do okay. that. Uh, and then we had the second email that was sent to us. Uh, that was shorter, I believe. Yeah, that was a lot shorter. Remember, we had a listener who said they want to move to Texas. We're going to retire to Texas. Right. But they don't want to go to Austin. They don't want to go to Austin. Keep Austin weird. I told her about that. Right. T-shirts, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had a, a friend, Tony, email in, and said the subject is where to live in Texas. It says San Angelo is a great spot for retirees. If you need better access to airports, uh, Fort Worth. All right, San Angelo, that's the Bobcats, I think. Okay. When I when I did my tour of uh, Texas high schools. Okay. Wildcats or Bobcats, check it out. San Angelo's nice community, West Texas. Mm-hmm. And you kind of feel if you're in Washington, then you go to Texas, West Texas. I don't feel like you're in another country. They're the Bobcats. Bobcats. Mm-hmm. I said Bobcats. Yes. I got it right. There you go. <laughs> they went to state a couple of times. You know, going to state, you know what that means. It's a big deal. You're playing in Jerry World at that point, right? Yeah, Jerry World. Mm-hmm. That's right. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Seth Leibson, host of The Seth Leibson Show, joins us now. All right, Seth. Um, uh, there's so much to talk about, and I almost don't want to talk at all. Yeah. I, I just so, I'm, I'm depressed. I, I, I think this is worse. This is the worst shape country's been in, I think. Yeah. Uh, both I agree. in terms of um, empirical facts on the ground and sort of attitudes. I guess I have one question that we can end this interview. Are the antibodies kicking in? You've heard me say that before. You know, do we are we re-strengthening? Are we, are we figuring this out? And are the antibodies kicking in against this virus? And I don't mean COVID. The hour's late, but yes. And the first sign of it I saw was when parents and mass finally woke up to the kinds of things you've been talking about for your entire career, content, 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 and curriculum, and school boards, school boards, school boards. Now, what's interesting about that is the parents, you know, Oscar Nomani in your area and Loudoun County, of course, being ground zero, it's happening all over the country. I'll tell you how I know it's effective. It's effective because the formerly moderate Merrick Garland, Attorney General, is sticking the FBI off, uh, on them to 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 provide a chilling effect, to promulgate a chilling effect, to dissuade them from continuing to show up at school board meetings. So I think the parents are disregarding it, and I think they are awake, and I think they are a huge and helpful moral force in turning this thing around. A lot of people think right close by in our neighborhood, this Virginia gubernatorial race could be a flashpoint, could be a, a real indicator. Do you have any opinion on that? Yes and no. It would be wonderful, but I don't want to put too many stakes on it. Um, I don't want to put too many stakes on it because if, in fact, the Democrats pull out a win here, and they have a lot of a lot of win behind their back. They have for a while. But if they win this, I don't want anyone to uh, be dissuaded or disgruntled or, you know, thinking that what happens in Virginia is what's true of the rest of the country. This didn't happen overnight, this problem. It's been happening for a good generation plus now, and we're not going to fix it in one year. So one election, one year, I don't think we should read too terribly much into. I really don't. What I want to see is a mass movement that continues and is ongoing, irrespective of what Tuesday it is and what November. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I hoped, I think you hoped too, that 
the Larry Elder thing would happen. It didn't even come close to happening. And that's a good reason for kind of the opinion I have yes, now. Yeah, I was thinking that while you were saying Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I was thinking it, too. I'm glad you picked up on that. I was thinking that, too. We were all, uh, I don't want to include everyone, but a lot of us, including myself, really thought early on Larry can, uh, Larry not only can do this, but would be likely to do this given the rising prices, given the rising homelessness, gr- rising drug use, sinking school, uh, sc- uh, academic scores, uh, greater unemployment, more, more mandates and all of this. And then, you know, they didn't. And you know where it drove me, Bill? It drove me to a lecture you gave some years ago at the Heritage Foundation about getting used to decadence. And in places like California, that's the message I took away. They're getting used to decadence. What do you do when a society accommodates or becomes inured to failure? We used to have, we used to have bumper stickers in Arizona saying, don't California my Arizona. Uh, but, uh, what do you do when the Californians, uh, don't realize that they've been looking at the cave and uh, there's a whole other world outside behind their backs, but they're happy in the cave. They're happy they in the cave. What are they doing wrong? I, we're not talking about, I want to talk about illegal immigrants in a minute, but. The middle class, you mean? The lower middle class? The upper classes? Who are you talking about there in California? Well, I, I'm talking about the vast electorate. I, I don't understand how you can look at any social or economic indicia in California. Again, whether it's the highest unemployment rate in the country or whether it's the homeless soaring homeless rate, the soaring drug use rate, the soaring uh, the soaring uh, inflation, and 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 then now thanks to Democratic leadership, soaring crime rate. You put that all together, and you know that affects San Francisco as much as it affects uh, San Diego and San Ysidro. I don't know. I just don't know how you can look around your environs in 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 that kind of social setting and that kind of polis polity and say, we're going to double down on it. We're going to double down on it. We're doing just fine. Thanks. We don't need to fix this. We're comfortable with this. I think they got used to decadence over there. Is California Californiating or Californicating uh, Arizona? Yeah. Yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Attitudes you see in Arizona. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, We have, uh, we have two democratic senators. Thank goodness we have a Republican governor. Uh, but we have two Democratic senators and a majority uh, of Democratic members to the House of Representatives in our delegation. We are holding on to the state legislature by two votes. And this is a dramatic change. Uh, it's changed Virginia in our lifetime and then before our eyes. It changed Colorado in our lifetime before our eyes. We're worried here in Arizona. So it's moving left in Arizona? Pardon? It's moving left in Arizona? Yeah, I would say I would say I would say all the indicators are moving left. But you guys are right there at the at the crater where the, the volcano, where the eruptions taking place. Where or, I mean, maybe Texas is worse, but you guys are seeing this invasion of the country, right? Yes, we are, and we're seeing it to the degree that the media allows us to see it. We're seeing it to the degree that the uh, Fox puts drones in the air. We're seeing it to the degree that individuals go to the border. I've been there a couple times. Some friends of ours you and I know in common have been there a couple of times. We can video, we can send back. But if you're ABC, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, NPR, how would most folks know about it? They wouldn't. They're they covering it wouldn't. a little, aren't they? A little? Hardly at all. Hardly the at only all. The, the only news that came out about the border was probably the news that you guys saw, which was, uh, oh my gosh, Customs and Border Patrol has a cavalry. They have people on horses. Oh, yeah. So the mainstream media went to their default position, having ignored this issue for four months, 
and they made an issue of what? Go against law enforcement. They went to their default position. To them, the story was that law enforcement was the problem, not illegal immigration. Guys of the reins, which were said to be whips. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, and then, of course, you have this fake story. No one was whipping anyone. And it caused a change in policy. So the Biden administration, uh, you know, because uh, because uh, Cory Bush said those are black lives and they matter, too, because supposedly they were from Haiti. The Biden administration said, fine, we will stop patrolling the border on horses. Well, that'll help, too, won't it? There's a court decision that says you got to go back to remain in Mexico. The Biden administration is resisting it. Do they really want to resist it or do they want to be forced to have to do it? Here's my thinking, and it's a little maybe too cynical for you, but honestly, this is where I am settling as, as, the, as, the, as the modus operandi right now. We've probably had six or seven and maybe as many as 10 major stories this year that if it were in any other year, they would have been the story of the year. And we can go down them, down the list. Uh, but, but when you stop and consider, is anything being done about it? Does it matter? Does it have more than a two week shelf life? The answer is no. The Biden administration, I think, reads this, reads what's happened, uh, reads what's taking place, reads about how the media treats their, um, their inefficiencies, their lies, their fakery, and gives them a pass. And so nothing really stops them, which is kind of an interesting point about the media, because if you go back to any, classical study of the point of a free press any more than the point of a journalism degree. It was the one thing, the one estate outside from the right to vote that was supposed to protect us from government overreach and government uh, conspiracy and government corruption. And they have traded in their earlier credentials as independent journalists or as truth tellers to power to becoming part of the power structure. And if you're the Biden administration, I mean, how many how many times does Anthony Fauci have to be wrong? Or how many times does Kamala Harris have to make a fool of herself? Or or how many times does uh, Joe Biden himself have to look like a classic case of why the 25th Amendment was written for it to make no dent? So I don't see any reason for them to want to moderate to appease a base that doesn't seem to care for them to moderate. Make sense or is that yeah, too cynical? Yeah, you? maybe. I'm focused here. I, I, I stopped on you said doesn't seem to make a dent. It's making a dent in terms of his approval rating. It's sinking. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it is making a dent in his approval range. I agree with that. I agree with that. We used to say, you know, everything comes through. The truth comes through. It may may not come through over the TV, but comes through the air vents and people stopping on the street, talking in the grocery store, waiting in line, whatever. Well, yes, indeed. And I, and I, and I, though I'm a cynic, I, I am not a pessimist. I'm cynical about, about the administration needing to make much of a change by their own lights. I mean, Kamala Harris, for example, thought the only change she had to make was about her image and hires two image consultants. It's not about the image. It's about the policies, really, in many respects, and the competencies, isn't it? Um, so I hope these uh, low approval ratings mean something to them. I fear it's to them a messaging and imaging problem uh, in their own eyes, where I think to most of us, it's a policy and competency problem. And I hope if they continue to fail or sink in these polls, that those polls stay. You and I, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, take some of these polls skeptically, if only because once upon a time, we remember when one of your bosses was at 90% in the same year he lost an election, you know? Sure. Yeah, no, George uh, Herbert Walker was unassailable. 
Yeah. I was on yeah. C-SPAN with Ed Rollins and somebody else. Um, and the question came up, you know, and this was 19. What, what I, I think we're talking 92, early 92. Aren't we? I think we are January, February, 92, something like that. Maybe a little earlier. Okay. But, um, no, no Shortly question. Shortly after and, the Gulf War victory was and, and Bush, yeah. Bush was at, yeah, 88, 90%. No question yeah. he'd be reelected. You know, no these question. Things, these things can change. They can flip. That's so right. do you have anything to say about the uh, supply chain, the boats, the ships? Yeah, I, I do. And it's going to end up, as all these interviews do, with a question to you as the education expert. But um, I, this, is, this is a problem that has been a long time coming. We're talking about a lot about the, uh, the ships. We're talking a lot about the docks. But we're also talking a lot about methods of delivery and the trucking problem. This trucking problem has been building to, for about – for about a little more than a decade now, if you talk to trucking officials uh, or trucking trade association people, which I have spent some time talking to, they will say, well, you know, uh, glad you're waking up and smelling the coffee. We've been telling you about this for 10, 12, yeah. 15 years. Yeah. And I said, okay, well, what's the problem? Because my understanding is truckers, especially the owned and operated truckers, you know, are making six or could make six figures and, and, and have quite nice lives. He said, sure, sure. Uh, if you respect and esteem that and train for that as a job. He said, remember growing up, Seth, in the 80s, how many trucking school commercials did you see on a given day in TV? I said, uh, all of them, all of them. That's all the commercials we saw. We saw tech commercials and we saw trucking school commercials in the 80s when I was growing up, 70s and 80s when I was growing up. He says, well, Votech stopped and that stopped. And we have made such an emphasis, put such an emphasis on our schools for college and career readiness that, you know, you want to know why we don't have a manufacturing in America anymore? You want to know why we don't have trucking in America anymore? It's because we used to teach it and we don't. We used to esteem it and we don't. And so, you know, I am I am perfectly, perfectly uh, comfortable in saying that, you know, a few administrations have been asleep at the switch on this. A few states have been asleep at the switch on this. But what's your perspective on this, Bill? I mean, education, this was this was a pretty lively time when you were uh, when you were secretary. This is the highlight of when I saw these commercials. I was very bullish on uh, vocational education, yep. spent a lot of time yep. with the voc ed people. I remember when I was secretary, I believe I spoke to the American Truckers Association. Remember Michael Jackson? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. He, Not the singer, but the, yeah, right, right, right. right. He yeah. worked in uh, the White House and worked with yeah. Marion Blakey, Federal yeah. uh, Transportation. And, and he, he became head of the truckers group for a while. I don't know if you remember that, but I, I remember sure. speaking to them. And giving them, you know, hurrahs. And then ever since, talking about the needs for technical skills and capabilities, the things that you can't outsource, right? Yep. Uh, welders making easy six figures. Yep. I talked to the lady who sells uh, tickets for the ferry down in North Carolina, and she said, well, my son-in-law, you know, I, I only see him back and forth because he's, he's trucking, and he's making, you know, coast to coast, he's making 120000 Yep. So really good money. You know, yeah, he goes, and then he goes one way, goes the other way, then takes off a week, and then does it again. Uh, and, uh, you know, same thing comes to plumbers, electricians, and so on. But we disparage what? that. You know, it was John Dewey, and I know he's not popular with our side, but he had a few smart insights. He said, it's not enough for a man to be good. He's got to be good for something. Yeah. You yep. know, and uh, as my brother yeah. said, if I – interview one more guy who comes into my office and said, well, my strength is that I'm good with people. Mm -hmm. Good with people about what? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Fixing their what? 
you know, mm-hmm. helping mm-hmm. them. I think it's a good point. I was thinking about that line you often use. Uh, you you often use about uh, teaching American history. You can't uh, you can't love what you don't know, and I think you can't teach what you don't uh, esteem, right? Uh, and, and 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 so <laughs> you know, we wake up, we realize we've made men without chests, and we're surprised we have men without chests. And made men without tool chests. Yeah, yeah. Better that? put. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. God bless Mike Rowe. You know. I think that's right. I think my and 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 isn't it interesting that when we think about well, who are the spokesmen for this? Who are the cheerleaders for this? Well, there's one. <laughs> you know, Working why is Mike Rowe interesting? Because he's saying interesting things which seem to be new, which seems to be workaday only 25 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. This notion of you know going to a third-rate college and. Ohio and spending, you know, 48,000 a year and coming four, out with six deg- years, four, six yeah. years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Coming out with a degree in graphic design or communications, you know, it just, it's a better way so to go. I don't know if you ever entertained this thought, maybe it's crackpot, but you know, I, could we, could we engage in a thought or policy experiment where we tie federal student aid and student loans to degree pursuits in the top 25 professions the bureau of labor statistics tells us needs professions could we could we do that could we do that so we're not telling colleges they have to stop teaching these other things but maybe 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 the government stops subsidizing nonsense is, is that a potential possibility ah uh, boy i don't know <laughs> not even in the best of administrations you know <laughs> It yeah. was it's very yeah, hard. We couldn't get Harvard to take ROTC. No, no, I mean, no, yeah, yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> right. Um, oh, tell tell people about that Harvard and well, ROTC. Yeah, and the, and the so, um, who's yeah. our who's our buddy in the Congress? Remember, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, sure. uh, Jerry Solomon was it? Jerry yeah. Solomon, yeah. So shortly after nine eleven, as more and more students wanted to stand up and do something to serve their country and fight the war that was declared on us. We took note that a lot of these Ivy Leagues, and Harvard was kind of ground zero for this, a lot of these Ivy League schools and others were still banning ROTC recruitment on campuses. Their justifications had changed over the years, but they were banning ROTC recruitment on campuses. So Jerry Solomon, a congressman out of uh, New York, passed uh, a defense authorization amendment called the Solomon Amendment. That said, the Secretary of Defense has the uh, ability and right to withhold uh, research grants to these universities that do ban ROTC on their campuses. So all you and I said was, <laughs> let's go do it. Pull the trigger. Pull the trigger. And we called, shall we say, um, some really high-level people who would have the ability to pull that trigger at places at the Department of Defense. And their response was, get in a fight with Harvard? No, thanks. My memory about right on that? Yeah, I went to a meeting during the Trump administration, too, about this with very high-level people in the Trump administration about, a, you know, about political correctness and all. You know, I mean, where you started, Seth, we already do this. We have, lo- we have loan forgiveness right. for people who enter, quote, public service. That's correct. You know, or teaching. If they do what Bernie Sanders wants, they get loan forgiveness. But how about, you know, loan forgiveness for being a welder? Might yep. be a great idea. Being a welder, being a trucker, uh, being a manufacturer. Yeah, be, a, be a much more sensible, be a much more sensible thing. Of course, the advice to young people is um, 
you know, is college worth it? You know, I wrote a book with David Willis all on that. And the answer is no, it's not for a lot of people. Return on investment, simply put return on investment. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the schools. Uh, first of all, we have talked here for a good 20, 30 minutes now already about things going on in the country, and yet we have not touched the number one issue uh, for the Biden administration, which tells you how out of sync I am, and that's COVID and mandated COVID and mandated COVID for children. And I know you have a special interest in this, and your audience, I know, is enthralled listening to you on this the other day. <laughs> well, I, I I hope so. It's Why wouldn't they be? I learned it all from you. No, I don't but, think so. Yeah, I think I did. Uh, and, and if I have to quote you back to yourself, I will do so. <laughs> you want to divorce yourself from my position, that's okay, too. Divorce myself from my position. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Either way is perfectly fine. But at a certain point, don't we want to ask what we're doing to children in our society? And I started noticing this yeah. when it came to resegregation and race issues. Uh, before 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 COVID hit hit us, and uh, you have Ibram Kendi, for example, at Boston University, your old stomping grounds, who got a ten million donation, ten million dollar donation from Jack Dorsey of Twitter um, to run his his um, his program at Boston University. He 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 wrote a book, anti racist baby, to teach children as young as preschool about racial differences. And now Netflix has picked that up and is making a uh, series with Ibram Kendi uh, aimed at preschoolers. Uh, we have curricula aimed at kindergartners in this country, uh, in some respects sponsored by state uh, state affiliates of the National Education Ed- uh, Association, their state affiliates, that is now teaching kindergartners about transgender issues. And of course, it's not teaching about, when I say teaching about, you obviously know that this is, this is with a direction. It's, it's more than suggestive, it's a direction. And then I started noticing the COVID push. And one of the first things we did, of course, was radically disrupt every single child in America's social and educational life at the snap of a finger and the turn of a dime. Not just not just their educational hours at the school, but everything that goes with it, everything that goes with it, including after-school programs, including uh, athletics, including social clubs, including social meetings. And those of us who warned about it were told uh, that we were being insensitive to the larger issue of COVID, even as we were showing that COVID really wasn't affecting children very much. And now the receipts are in. We have, we have a lot. And the American Academy of Pediatrics just put out a study yesterday, a lot more of great increase, a tremendous increase in children's social and mental health, just as we predicted we would. You can't use children like this. You just can't torture children. I missed children. that report. What did that report say? Yeah, I'll get it. I'll, I'm happy to get it to you. And if I can pull up my tab here, I'll even give you the headline. Yes. Pediat- here's the headline from the American Academy of Pediatrics. Pediatric mental health crises reach critical tipping point among children, adolescents, and their families over the course of COVID-19 pandemic response. Uh, so we're seeing everything from not just suicidal ideation increasing, we are seeing everything from pseudo- suicidal ideation increasing to actual attempted suicides increasing. 
We are seeing increased rates of depression. We are seeing increased rates of disinhibition. We are seeing increased rates of acting out and acting out violently. We are seeing a big problem here with our children. And then it dawns on me, now we are forcing them to mask and in some cases, certainly in California, mask and vaccinate. And it just drove me back to all the kinds of things that I was studying back in the day. And I think you found a a lot of help from people like Neil Postman, The Disappearance of Childhood. I discovered recently some work by Hannah Arendt on the torturing of children to satisfy adults' needs and desires. And it turns out, I think, we adults are now using children to play out our political chess and checker games on their schoolyards. And I think it's a terribly dangerous thing to do for society. And it's terribly unscientific. Seven times, let me try it this way, seven times the number of all children since January of 2020 who have died from or with COVID, seven times the number are adults who have been doubly vaccinated. Say that again. Say that again. Let me do it in reverse. might be easier. Adults who have been doubly vaccinated have died from or with COVID at seven times the number of all children since before there was even a vaccine. Who the hell are we doing this for? Why the mandate to mask children and vaccinate children? Who the hell are we doing this for? If we're saying, well, children can pass it on to adults, A, we don't have the studies on that, but B, I submit a society that's afraid of its children is a society that has surrendered any notion of adulthood or childhood. You gave me Hannah Arendt once upon a time. Surrender line. Yeah, yeah. There, 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 there are certain forms of surrender. Adults do not have the right to declare in the presence of children. You cannot, in a healthy society of any kind I've ever studied, erase the distinction between adulthood and childhood. And I don't think we would have child problems in a, in this country if we didn't have adult problems. But this is where we are now. This is where we are. We are using children to satisfy our political objectives, and I think it's frankly morally sick. What do these children you suspect grow up? Believing and thinking uh, and um, voting, uh, you know, let's assume they get to adulthood with some reasonable, sane state of mind. Resentment of, the, of, what, of what adults have done to them? Well, I don't know yet. That will, that will have to, I suppose, pan itself out. But I will say related to that, maybe gets us somewhere to an answer on this, has to do with the vaccines generally. There seems to be a hardened population, is it 40% of the country roughly, that will not and has not and will not be vaccinated, and they call it vaccine hesitancy. People have thrown out a lot of theories as to why. I'll tell you what I think the theory behind a lot of it is. I think, I think that the American people, uh, a large number, a large percentage of the American people, simply stopped believing what this government is telling them stopped believing them because they've been wrong so many times on this issue of public health. I have a list of 20 things at my office, Anthony Fauci said, that turned out to be wrong within a month. Within a month. Your record and my record on talking about COVID is far better, far better than Anthony Fauci's record, Bill. And and, and I think Americans who pay attention to these things are saying, well, the government that has been wrong so many times about things we have to do because of COVID is now telling me that I have to take this vaccine that was that was invented and disseminated less than a year and a half ago, and that if I don't do it, I have to choose between that and my job. 
doesn't sound very voluntary anymore. Doesn't sound yeah. uh, like I have any confidence in this government to believe them anymore. In the best of worlds, in the best of days, in the best of years, the FDA has had to pull back the most common of medicines. We just changed the direction that we just changed last week. The FDA just put out new new guidelines on the use of aspirin to prevent stroke, for God's sake. But this, this thing, we have to do it to our 11 and 5-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. We know COVID affects different people differently. And we know this vaccine is going to have different effects on people differently. Pardon me for saying let's just wait it out a little and let people make their own independent decisions about their own health. That's a lot to chew on. That's a lot to think about. Very powerful case you make. Well, I really, I really, I really. What is going on in their little heads? Because if, well, this is this is really a very serious issue, at least from the perspective I see it from. Uh, in this sense, if they can make people, for the first time in the history of this country, the first time in the history of this country, submit to a federal vaccine mandate that reaches into the private sector in the name of of, of, a, of a virus, in the name of a virus that is threatening some people's health that, God forbid, 99% might survive, given all the statistics we have, what might they do to us and require of us with other things they declare existential threats? I'm a little concerned about that. I think, I think that this is a line that is being crossed that is going to turn America, if it's not stopped, from a representative uh, democracy and Republican form of government to something that approaches not tyranny anymore, but as a political philosopher friend of mine said, something that's much more totalitarian. The, um, there's a connection, correct, between the vaccination issue, the political correctness and wokeness education issue. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think the issue is to dumb us down. I think the issue, can I tell you my favorite t-shirt I saw Saturday? Yeah. <laughs> my favorite t-shirt. I don't, I can't do better than this. I was at a rally on Saturday. Someone was wearing a t-shirt said, make George Orwell fiction again. Wow. And of course, what they were referencing is everything he wrote in 1984. And I urge people to go back and read it. Their jaws will be on the floor. Their jaws will be on the floor. But yeah, there is a, there absolutely is a connection. Uh, revolutions and responses, you know, don't come from the numb and the dumb. It's, you know, the educated. And if they're, if they're going to, if there's going to be pushback against this progressive effort in this country, it's, um, it's, 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 it, 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 it benefits the progressives to have us miseducated. It benefits the progressives and those who are trying to shove this down our collective throats. For us not to be smart, not to be educated, not to know the truth, not to know the real news, not to know our own American history. Yeah. So, for example, one of the brightest guys. Destroy I know the old now. things. Destroy the old things. It can be the old books. It can be the old statues. It can be the old heroes. Yeah, I mean, pretty much, and pretty soon, you just don't have a basis or a foundation for the country anymore when you have taken a sledgehammer to all those bases and foundations. That's one part, certainly. Uh, you're, you, you recommended this old 1960s book from Daniel Borston to me, former librarian of Congress. He has a very, yeah, very serious line in there. You cannot steep a society in anti-Americanism and expect America to come out. Um, but really smart guy I know, one of the smartest guys I know, made a fortune, made a fortune, retired, was talking to me in, the other day about vaccines. 
And he said, oh, the federal government has mandated vaccines plenty of times. George Washington, President Washington did it. Do you know how long it takes to unwind that talking point that it seeps through society to even intelligent conservatives? President George Washington never mandated a vaccine. Mandated a vaccine for the troops in the military for yellow fever and smallpox before there was even a United States of America. <laughs> and it was for the military. The military operates by different rules. I mean, I can go through. But they just have their well, yeah, I, More often we hear, well, there's the polio vaccination. Yeah, well, there was a polio vaccination over a disease for children, which was designed for children, which this vaccine isn't, for a disease that killed children. And, and, and every state, every state got on board. Every state got on board with slight variations on it. And it was, and, and it, and it was um, something that, as I say, did not uh, affect and go to the entirety of society and which has now behind it something like 50 years of experiment. It was not a federal mandate. It was not over a disease that didn't affect children. And it was specifically designed to be okay. used for children. I just, None I, of that is true of this vaccine. I None want, of I just wanted you to do that because the your expression there, frustration, how long does it take to unwind this argument? Here's what I find more than anything, your old pregnant phrase, invincible ignorance. So I had that conversation with this person, and he looks at me and goes, eh, eh, I don't know about that, and, walk in and moves on. You know, people are fixed on their ED fixes or EDs fixed. They, and, and, and that is our challenge. That is our challenge. We have got to get to the children. We have got to get God knows to the adults before the left does. It's increasingly difficult. Yeah. We have a few formats. We have podcasting. We have radio. But after that, you know, aside from your own living room and perhaps homeschooling, uh, it's increasingly hard for society to take control of its own range. Yeah, this is, uh, this is what tempts discouragement, you know. This is what tempts you to become discouraged. Um, that, oh, it does. That or, unwinding. Or, and or that, to roll yeah. up your sleeves and get busier. It just depends yeah. on. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes both, time of day, yeah. Yeah, sometimes both. Sometimes the, um, both. I talked to a very rich guy just the other day about a school that we both care about. And this is a very smart guy, you know, not very old, 50s, made a ton of money. And I said, we got to watch it here because this uh, school we care about is teaching this uh, Ibram Kendi and, you know, his work and that it was being used a lot and his disciples in the school. And I said, and this is disturbing. This is what, you know, this is what he says, that society is um, racist deep through and through, will never be, and our society will never be anything but, and it's always got to be resistance and you know, white people are never your friends or your enemies. And his yeah. res his response was, you know, this is a very intelligent guy. Well, I looked the guy up. He's won the National Book Award. Mm -hmm. He's won the up, the up, the up, the up, the up. Does he not know that there's a, an establishment out there that rewards this and that that's part of it? You know, <laughs> it reminds me of nothing It's all the so same much. club. <laughs> it reminds me of nothing so much. As circa 2005-2006, when reporters at the New York Times and Washington Post with names like James Reason and Donna Priest were disclosing classified national security, uh, classified national security material in the pages of the Washington Post and the New York Times. And you were critical of them for that, highly critical, yeah. and about five other people. 
Boys, the power line were pretty good on it. And um, and you went to debate one of them, and <laughs> they had just received a Pulitzer Prize for their reporting on doing so. And one of the moderators said, how can you debate them on this? They just won a Pulitzer Prize, <laughs> you know? I don't, I don't yeah. remember that. Oh, that was Dana Priest yeah. when, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's, um, sure, sure. Uh, Yasser Arafat got the Nobel Prize. What do you want me to say? Uh, Ellie Wiesel said, I'll turn mine back in. You know, yeah. I don't, you can corrupt any institution. You can corrupt any institution. Did you ever see the, the HBO series on Chernobyl? Yes. Opening line sent chills down my spine then, and I remember it to this day. It's about three or four years old. And it's the scientist who noticed there's something wrong here. We have, a, we have a problem. And he opens with a little monologue and he says, the danger in believing lies is that we won't necessarily just accept the lies, but we'll no longer respect or even realize the truth exists at all. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that going on right now. Right. I think there's a lot of that going on right now. I think so, too. I think so too. Brilliant. This is brilliant, Seth, and uh, terrific. And uh, we thank you. And you do tonight. this. And you do this again tonight, right? This afternoon. I'll be on with my team at nine sixty a.m. from three to six, as I am Monday through Fridays. You betcha. Um, I just, I just think I wanted to. I don't know when you're going to have me sign off here or close, but close. there is something I did want to. To quote directly if I can. And it is from Neil Postman because I really think he's maybe the one of only two sociologists that mattered. And it was in his you book. You Postman? Uh-huh. Did you? I you I don't remember who turned me on to Postman. I remember growing up there was a paperback of his doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. He says it's uh you know, it's not nineteen eighty four, although there's a lot in that. It's Brave New World. It's amusing yeah. yourselves to death. Go ahead. Well, it just, in, 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 in the introduction to his book on the disappearance of childhood, he says, what does it mean that our children have been forced to become adults? It means that they have become adult-like, which means that in having access to the previously hidden fruit of adult information, they're expelled from the garden of childhood. And if we want to erase all these distinctions between childhood and adulthood, we're going to find a society, frankly, that is new and I don't think has ever existed in history. And I think it's going to be another experiment that doesn't end well. Yeah, that Garden of Eden, the corruption of innocence, the corruption of the young, destruction of childhood. Let them stay, let, let them stay young while they are young. What's funny is children know there's a distinction. Children know they there want is to be, a distinction. And they want, and they want, want to be exactly, children. Exactly. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we're robbing them not only of their childhood, we're robbing them of their adulthood. Thanks, Seth. Brilliant. Wonderful. Thanks Bless so you, much. Claude and Bill. Thank Always. you. Well, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Be sure this podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. This podcast is growing. Yes, yes. 